You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry. Wayne is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And Wayne, there's been a particular stock in the last couple of weeks. It's been all over the place. It came down on its trading statement and also the appointment of a new old CEO in the form of Sean Summers, who's about 70 years old, I think. And the share price came down 15% on that day. Then they had a a couple of good days. In fact, one day I think it was up 7 8%. And I noticed its results have come out today, the real results, never mind the trading statement. And it's almost as though the trading statement hadn't been read by people because the share price has fallen, as we pre-record before the JSC closes, 12.5% down. What on earth is going on with this company? Yeah, I must say, I didn't, just to talk about the share price movement, I mean, it's been known for a while now that they're going to swing from a one rand profit per share to a one rand loss per share. And the number came out at, I think, a loss of 112 cents or something. It was somewhere in that region. Um, Last night, I think after the close of trade, they came up with another trading statement said because of hyperinflation accounting in Zimbabwe, so today's numbers and last night's trading update might have been slightly worse than what um, you know the market was expecting, but only slightly worse. So I, I personally didn't understand the big negative reaction. I must also be honest and say I didn't uh, attend the presentation online. So maybe something was said at the presentation that scared people. Yes. Obviously dividend obviously dividend went to zero, but anyone who thought they were getting a dividend was not you know, was not thinking clearly. Because they also thought the dividend going to zero might also have spooked people, but that was so clear when you go into a loss you don't pay a divvy, man. No, of course. And not. then they did say they did say the second half will be better for XYZ reasons. Mm. The second half of the financial year but they still expect the profits to be lower than last year. Well, for sure, you know, and they said it'll be more than 20% lower. Well, when you make a loss in the first half, you know, uh, it's going to be more than 20% lower. So to the final story is I, I didn't quite understand the minus 12 or 14% on pick and pay. But then, as I said, maybe I'm just missing something. Yeah, it does seem strange because they have been said that first trading state was bad enough. And I, I really think that a company, I really had the idea that companies put all the nastiness in the trading statement so that people don't get surprised on results yeah, day. But yeah, clearly, so the, that hasn't happened. Yeah. yeah, it hasn't happened. Because when something like this happens, you normally throw the kitchen sink at it. You mm. put in absolutely every provision and every loss and every contingency there's actually a saying in the market, never waste a bad set of results. So when you've got a bad set of results, you chuck everything and the kitchen sink into that set of results. Yeah. So that from then on, there's only up because you've provided and written off absolutely everything and you've done everything. So now there were some specials in this set of financials uh, I forget the numbers now, but there were restructuring retrenchment costs in there. There was, same as everyone else, the load shedding and the diesel and the loss of sales because of load shedding and diesel and all of these things. But 
you know, their gross margin fell from 18.5% down to 16.5% or something. I can't quite remember, but it was a severe contraction in gross margin. And then their net margin essentially disappeared. So, you, you know, before finance costs, before depreciation, in other words, cost sales minus cost of sales minus the expenses, the direct expenses of making those sales was almost zero. So Sean Summers has got a mammoth task ahead of him, and it's not a five-year job. I think we spoke about this when the results came out. Yeah. The trading statement came out. I've been hearing about the pick-and-pay turnaround since the late 90s. Eh? That's quite a long time. It's a long time. It really is. I mean, if you have a look at this, Wayne, it's, this is, it's just a little snippet from the presentation. And the new CEO, we know who it is, the new old CEO, Sean Summers, he said today he will review the company's turnaround plan. In other words, he's having a look at it, having sat, got his feet under the desk, and he's saying to himself, no, this is not what I want. And it says here, he told investors that reviving the business may take up to 24 months. Now, you said, this, wow. you said longer, but 24 months to get it back on track. I mean, if you're an investor, you say, okay, I can best deploy my money elsewhere. And they whack the share down to 26 rand a share, which is an extraordinary price given where it's come from. Yes. So, look, maybe the, maybe the true value deep value investors will pile in left, right, and center now, but they might have piled in after the initial trading statement, but you never know where the bottom is. But it's a mistake I often make, by the way. Oh, yes. And there's a good old saying in investments, never try and catch a falling sword. Mm. Wait for it to hit the ground and embed itself even if you give up the first 30% rise in the share price. Yes. If it is truly a turnaround situation from a deep value, the share will double. It won't just go up 30%. And I often make that mistake. I must buy now because it's cheap and we're at the bottom. I, I will also be honest and say I'm, I'm, I'm very seldom wrong longer term, but I can easily buy it 30%, 40% higher than the actual bottom. Well, I'm, I'm not being nasty. You still but make you, money. You, you still make money over time, but but, yeah. but still, you would rather hit the bottom. And I suppose that's just being impatient. I suppose I don't know. Well, no, you've got to get your foot. You've got to, you've got to get your foot in the door, Wayne. Because I mean, you've been honest about the fact you don't always time the market uh, absolutely perfectly, but nobody does unless they're extremely lucky or cheating. But uh, you, you've done the same with the, with platinum stocks. You you started to buy a little yeah. bit early, didn't you? Yes, definitely, yeah. Hmm. But you'll be right in the end. We know that. I, I sincerely hope so. If the if the future is anything like the past and we get some sort of economic recovery over the next two to three years on the back of lower interest rates and lower inflation, hmm. you sh should still be okay, yeah. 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 The Anglo Pants comes from 2,500 and I started buying just below 1,000 rand. And it seemed to have bottomed out now at six fifty, and what's at seven twenty, wherever seven forty, wherever it is now. So maybe on that one we have seen the bottom. I hope so. I hope so for you and for your clients. Now speaking about metals, I had a, a chat with a very fine fellow in London earlier today, 
who was attending London Metal Exchange Week last week. You know, the London Metal Exchange is probably the most important exchange, certainly for base metals. It's, you've got aluminium, copper, nickel, zinc, tin, and lead. And it's where everybody gets together. Every single producer, whether it be a country or a corporate, every single consumer yeah, all of made. the metals, the brokers, the traders, the financial, financial services investors, they all get together. And they have a lovely big dinner and everything, and they, and they, they a lot of hospitals. I'm sure it's a jolly old time. Oh, it really is a jolly old time. It had this, the stories I used to hear when I was working in that business in London, legendary people behaving badly. But I, I spoke to him, and he listed all the sorts of deals that go on. They don't just say, oh, well, let's keep in touch, here's my card. They do the deal then. They'll say, for the next year, I will buy your copper at $100 a tonne above the current LME price fixed and uh, with guaranteed delivery, if you can guarantee me delivery, all that sort of thing going on. It's fascinating. Yeah. And he said the interesting thing was that the Chinese were back with a vengeance, you know, having not been able to travel last year yeah. and the year before, they were back and they were busying themselves. And he said that it was very encouraging to see how much demand was, was coming from the Chinese consumers. So that was quite good. PGM's not involved, unfortunately, but generally metals, although they've been in the doldrums recently, he said it was a very encouraging conference for next year. He thinks 2024 for commodities is going to be a bumper one. So you must like that. Yeah, 24, 25. I don't know if it's going to be next year or the year after, but it's coming. Yeah. And and I'm, we've, we've spoken about this so many times. This might be a better than normal commodity upcycle because no one's invested money in new capacity. Exactly. You know, the commodity companies almost went bankrupt in 2014, 2015 after the last bout of massive capital expenditure and deals. And then the market went south. And all they did since then was build up enormously strong balance sheets. Eh? I mean, certainly up, in, up until prices started to fall, when did commodity prices started to fall? A year and a half ago. Probably. Let's just say two years ago. Mm. Two years ago, mining companies have never had such strong balance sheets, I think, in recorded history. They were flush with cash. And you got those enormous, enormously big dividends coming out. But they didn't spend the money on capex, which means that should demand revive itself, there's limited supply that's going to meet that demand. So, unfortunately, oil is a very good example. And, and these are very rough figures. There's about 100 million barrels a day of oil consumed. Uh, each year, oil consumption, even with electrics and everything, goes up by about 1 million barrels a day. And the existing fields output drops by about 1 million barrels a, a, a day. Oh, as, it, so as they every, get depleted, yep. As they get old, yeah. Mm. So every year you've got to find 2 to 3 million barrels of new capacity per day. Right. You know, the equivalent thereof. And no one's done this, eh? Because investing in fossil fuel was a no-no. I mean, the banks wouldn't even give you money to do it. You know, because everyone had gone green. And you can see today BHP is continuing to sell out of the fossil fuel business, which is probably the right thing longer term, but maybe exactly the wrong thing shorter term. Because in the shorter term, there could be, in let's say, let's say five years, I don't know, two years, five years, there could be a big squeeze on the oil, eh? a, a seriously large squeeze hmm. on, on oil. 
So oil, it wouldn't surprise me if oil goes to $120, $130 a barrel over the next two to three years because oil is one oil is the one area that's had the least new capacity uh, built into it. And I know Russia and Saudi can pump more, but there's also a limit as to, you know, they can only meet that extra for two or three years. I don't think they'll go much above 120, 130 because then the fracking in America starts up again despite all the legislation against it. You know, Americans don't like an oil price and they'll put green to a side to get a lower oil price via increase output from fracking. But yeah, so oil could be squeezed, but in the same is going to happen maybe to a lesser extent in coal and iron ore and platinum and palladium, all the stuff we export. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, oil, because as you say, there are a few swing producers <coughs> that can just turn on the taps. I mean, Saudi Arabia obviously is the main one. They could pump out yes. an awful lot more if they wanted to, but they choose not to. But I don't know if they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're trying to diversify I their... I think their, they are. Yeah, they're, they're trying to diversify their economy. And how can you diversify an economy should... is the, the, when the world economy is suffering because of the high oil yeah. price that you've engineered? But, but, but irrespective of whether the world economy is suffering or not, let's just say they don't care, and they probably don't care. Let's just say they don't care. Why I say they're shooting themselves in the foot, they should be trying to get the lowest oil price possible without bankrupting themselves. Yes. Because the higher oil price just simply accelerates the move to electric. Very true. Because mm. when you here in South Africa, go and fill up your car and it costs you 1,700 rand, 1,800 rand to fill up each time. And I mean, I'm quite lucky in that I don't travel that much. So I fill up maybe... I don't know, maybe one and a half times a month. So I don't actually travel that that much, thank goodness. But lots of people, you know, the Joburg Pretoria run, when I used to do that, you filled up once a week with petrol. So there's lots of lots of people who use, you know, a full tank a week. Mm. And I mean, that's horrendously expensive. So when their car gets old, they say, shoo, let me think about electric. So they're just hastening the move to electric, man. And I think that's why they're shooting themselves in the foot. They should try, but maybe their argument is we must milk it while we can because it's going to end. Maybe they're investing in green energy. Who knows? Maybe, they, again, the diversification of their industrial portfolios. Who knows, Wayne? Okay, so we've spoken about pick and pay. We've spoken about the LME, London Metal Exchange Week. And we've got to talk about food now because the seasons are changing, Wayne. I know you never change your habits. doesn't matter whether it's 8 degrees or 38 degrees. You're still having your roast on a Sunday at 12 o'clock. You've got the McCurry table, which nobody else can sit yes. at. And the only reason you have to phone him is to say if you're not coming, not if you are coming. Yeah. So we know that. But yeah. what I've done now... And we actually and, mm. and we actually have cancelled the last month or so ah. because we've got a new puppy in our house. Oh, of course. I, your dog died, yes. Mm. Mm. What is it? What so is the it? puppy I mean, needs looking off. It's a... No, no, it's a... Oh, my mind's going mad here now. Um, it's a brown Labrador. Ah, you see. Yeah, they're um, they're beautiful looking dogs, and you probably you probably named it Lindsay or, or or some other fine name. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, good. And it's biting everything, and you've got to keep a beady eye on it the whole time that it's not sleeping. 
<laughs> okay, good. Well, very good luck with uh, with young Lindsay there. I wanted to tell you what I'm up to. I spoke about eight degrees. It's around about seven, eight degrees today. I went down into into some cupboard and pulled out uh, another duvet. So I, I I sleep under two duvets now, which is nice. It's like it's like being a baby, sort of cocooned under these heavy blankets, yeah. and you and you fall asleep nicely with that. But also, I've decided that this whole winter is going to be soups and stews. Uh, which which are easy to make and also terribly delicious and very hearty and you have a big bowl and you sit in front of the telly with a blanket over your knees and you watch a you watch whatever you watch and this is the way I do it because over the you know, some program I saw they showed how to make proper chicken stock uh, or broth so what I do is I go to the local farm I don't buy these small little um, pieces of chicken that have from battery chickens that have grown and been yeah. slaughtered within 30 days. I get, I get a chicken that's been alive for a minimum six months and has been running around a farmyard clucking and pecking and doing whatever they do. And I get, yeah, I get chicken, two yeah. big pieces of chicken with the leg and the thigh attached. And I put them both in the bottom of a big pot with some olive oil and then chop celery and onions and garlic and carrots and leeks and fennel and all that sort of thing. And you just pour those on top of this, the chicken, fill it to the brim, the pot that is, with water, put the lid on, bring it to the boil and simmer it for four hours. Then you get rid of mm. everything that's in there everything yeah. uh, because it's disintegrated by then and then you've got stock in in tupperware in the freezer anytime you want to have soup and it's brilliant it's easy to make soup when you've yeah, got good delicious. stock yeah that's great so yeah. that's what i, I do. say we 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 have soup winter or summer we both love soup yes but stews i'm not that because of your mother uh because of my mother i grew up having stew virtually every day of my junior life <laughs> So I still get the cold shivers down my spine when I, I, I hear the word stew coming up. But my mother had a very similar dish that she made. I mean, my mother was a beautiful person and I loved her. Yes. But she wasn't well domesticated. <laughs> so she had another dish that she thought I loved. She was convinced I loved this dish, but it was terrible. And, my, and it was called warming draw chicken. Okay. So she would take a whole chicken... Mm. And put it in a big pot and mm. throw some water over it and a couple of carrots and stuff. And then it would simmer away at the warming draw temperature the whole day. Ooh. And it would come out absolutely white. And I called it landmine chicken because you touched it with your knife and fork. It just exploded into pieces. There was no substance to it at all. It was like chewing, I don't know, water. You know, it's chicken flavored water. It was absolutely awful. But as I said, my mother loved her, but she wasn't well domesticated. And landmine chicken or warming door chicken was not good. Okay. Well, I think but if you're you having should... it as soup, that's fine, yeah. There's a program on, on, on a Saturday morning on the BBC called Saturday Kitchen Live where they have a celebrity coming on and they say, what is your food heaven and what is your food hell? And the viewers yeah. have, to, have to vote. So warming jaw chicken would be your food, food yeah. warming hell. Door, yeah. warming, warming jaw chicken and, and stew. And I must admit it was a, 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 a beef stew and it wasn't prepared with great love. Huh. It was just produced because that's what you produced. All right. Well, let's move on to, let's not end on, on a sad food note. On a bad note, yeah. yeah. Have you had any good I've food? I've got a good, yes, excellent food. Okay. Now, on Sunday, mm -hmm. on Sunday night, obviously the world's biggest rugby fan and I 
were watching the rugby. Yes. When we beat France by one point. 29-28. I, I was there as well. Yeah, yeah. and mm. I think and I think the world's biggest is only now starting to recover <laughs> from the emotional strain that she went through with such a close score. Does course, she jump around a lot and, and, and scream? Oh, and, and jumps shout. around and shouts and screams and, mm. and, and gets so upset and she can't watch old uh, Libok kicking the ball because she's scared she's going to miss it. She's got to close her eyes because she can't watch it because he misses easy kicks every yeah. now and again. And, and so it's very, very tiring and stressful. And of course, it, you know, it ultimately ended quite late because you can't just go to sleep after the last ball, you know, after the final whistle. Of course not, so, the adrenaline's you know, pumping. We went to bed late. Yeah, we went to bed late and of course then we won and it was terribly exciting and the rest of it. But that's not the story. The story is just before the game, Yes. I said, what are we chowing? And I said, okay, we're going to order in. We'll phone Mr. D, we'll go on the Mr. D app and we'll order in. And uh, the world's biggest rugby fan loves... Uh, um, chicken spring rolls. Right. So we ordered chicken spring rolls. We went to an Asian type of restaurant and I ordered prawn fashion sandwiches. Really? They were delicious. Oh, and, so it was a sushi place ordered, as well. Yeah. Mm. It was sushi and Asian. It was a combo place. Right. And the reason why I ordered is that they were doing a two for one special. So you ordered four sandwiches and you got eight. Very nice. And they were truly delicious. But what was really interesting is obviously many, many other people had the same idea because Mr. D app kept crashing. And I had to go on about three or four times until it was successful because obviously oh, it was the rugby a serious factor. number yeah. of people were doing it. Yeah. That mm -hmm. was very interesting. That. Very good. Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. I will was, be turning my phone off on Saturday night at nine o'clock because yes. you lot are playing England. And it's not the fact that I'm, I'm worried about the result because I know what the result is going to be. It's the extent of the humiliation of the English team against the Springboks okay. because they're in, yeah. the Springboks are in a different league to England. So it's, it's I, I know what's going to happen, but it can, if it could just be 15 points, that would please me. Yeah. That would be a result be for okay. me. Yeah. Um, but well, maybe you'll be able to answer it because you're in this neck of the woods. Yeah. Why do they play so late at night time, starting at nine o'clock? It's, it's a French thing. It's very much a French thing. If you watch football matches, sometimes football matches in Spain, for example, start at 10 o'clock. I've been to football matches at 10 o'clock in Barcelona and you, it finish, you get out the ground at midnight and all the, the, the metros have closed and there's no, there's no taxis. So you have to, you have to yeah. walk an hour and a half to get back to your, your hotel. Yeah, look, I, I know I've, I've, I've spent some lovely days, some lovely time in Barcelona, yeah. food in Barcelona, while well, the food in Spain is good. Yes, it really the is. The food in Barcelona is also good. It's delicious. And, but they have the official siesta. People go home and sleep for two hours. Yeah. And then right. they come back and they so, – so when you go out for dinner – in Barcelona, you only go, you only book at nine o'clock at night time. You don't book at seven. No, of course not. I don't think the restaurant even, they aren't even open at seven because it's now siesta. Yeah, well, it's quite right. It's a very no, say civilized, mm, lovely place. It really is. And Wayne, thank you very much for your time. As always, great stories. That's Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.